Welcome to Commune, a global wellness community and online course platform featuring some of the world's greatest teachers. We are on a mission to inspire, heal, pass down wisdom, and bring the world closer together. This is the Commune Podcast, where each week we explore the ideas and practices that help us live this healthy, connected, and purpose-filled life. You can check out our courses, our community, and everything we do at onecommune.com. Okay, so today on the podcast, I welcome my friend, Koya Webb. Koya is an internationally recognized yoga teacher, celebrity holistic health coach, author, speaker, and vegan activist. She is also the founder of Get Loved Up, a yoga school that inspires mental, spiritual, and physical health through online courses, retreats, and in-person yoga teacher training events. Akoya was also a track and field star growing up, and as you will hear, encountered some unexpected hurdles, not those that you find on a track. Her experience led her to excavate the nature of fear in all of its iterations. Fear of judgment, fear of success, fear of failure, learned fear, innate fear, and the detriments of limiting beliefs. Eventually, she determined how to make fear her friend, and this inspired her book, Let Your Fears Make You Fierce, How to Turn Common Obstacles into Seeds for Growth. Now, Commune recently collaborated with Koya on a course related to these topics titled Bravely You. So for a free five-day pass to Koya's Commune course, visit onecommune.com brave. Now, one bit of context, this conversation took place in the days following the tragic shooting of Dante Wright, which we refer to briefly. Okoya has a really unique and interesting approach to fear as feedback, and it's really helped me with my own fears just to approach them from a new angle, and I'm confident you'll find it helpful as well. So I hope you enjoy my conversation with Koya Webb. My name is Jeff Krasno, and welcome to Commune. Web. Thanks for being here. Oh, thanks for having me, Jeff. It's an honor. Uh, it's just a pleasure. We've had many conversations without the big red button flashing in the corner. <laughs> and they've, <laughs> they've been some of my favorite conversations that I've had this year. And uh, I'm grateful for those and, and grateful for this impending one. And I'm sure we'll hop around and excavate a lot of different topics. But since you've written a book recently, a couple of years ago, right, called Let Your Fears Make You Fierce. That's a great title. And recently we collaborated um, on a course together called Bravely You. Um, we can focus at least some of our conversation around the nature of fear and how that appears in our life and the various tools that we might be able to avail ourselves to to alleviate it but i was hoping that we would start um because i, I just got a chance to read or to be honest listen to your book um so i was and i just found it really inspirational and very grounding so i wonder if we could just start by kind of buttressing our conversation with some of your personal biography 
and the events in your life that led you to devote so much mental energy to excavating fear and understanding its various sources and expressions? Mm, absolutely. Absolutely. I, you know, fear uh, is just such a fun thing for me to talk talk about now because I feel like my philosophy on fear, it continues to evolve. Hmm. And when I wrote the book, Let Your Fears Make You Fierce, fierceness is is a is another word for for love, you know? And I break it down. I have an acronym for fear and different ways you can love and, and different things like that. But at the end of the day, one thing that I make sure that I tell people when I talk about fear is coming from a place of fear being feedback and fear also Hmm. being a vibration of love. And that is very challenging because we think get rid of fear. We don't want fear. And that is, those feelings are valid, but at the same time, when you start to understand fear, when you start to unpack fear, you realize that fear is feedback leading you towards love. And and I would love to unpack that. I think the first time when I really understood, like when I was really like in my greatest amount of fear, and that was, or my first experience of like, I don't know what I'm gonna do with my life. And that was in college. And I was running track and field. It was so hard for me. I'm a small town girl from Humboldt, Tennessee. We didn't have much. I mean, I grew up, you know, in a trailer. We got our clothes from the helping hand. I drank powdered milk. Like, I didn't grow up vegan as I am now. I didn't grow up, you know, in California, which is where I live now. I I grew up in the country, in the sticks, six people in a trailer. And I give that context because I feel like the things that I have experienced coming from that space have helped me become the woman that I am today. And those experiences have given me a depth and also a resilience of why I feel that that fear is feedback and, and, and fear is an opportunity uh, for us to love ourselves deeper. And so here I am running on the track. I I always said I want to travel the world. And I was like, well, track and field is my ticket. I can use my my legs. All that running to the bus, <laughs> all that running to the bus, <laughs> and falling and scraping my knees, it paid off. And now, now here I am. I'm a track athlete. And so I was like, perfect. This is going to take me to college. I ended up getting a full ride um, to college. And I was like, this is going to be my ticket to make a difference in the world. Because, you know, you would see athletes on the Wheaties boxes and going to speeches and I realized at a young age that, oh, I want to make a difference in the world. I want to be that. I want to speak to people. I love to help people. And when I when I talked about what I wanted to do, it was like, I just want to see people feel good. And I, and I was very empathic at a young age. I could see when people were sad and see when they're happy. And I was like, I want people to have this experience of happiness that feels good. And when I see people sad, you know, I feel sad. And so that was my young thoughts. This evolved since then, but that were, that, those were my young thoughts. And So here I was, track and field, had paid my way to college. And I I have to admit, in the first year, I didn't, college was new. It was a different place away from my family. I gained 25 pounds. Like 25, you know, in country, there are good pounds because I was a tall, skinny girl. So I was happy about my 25 (laughs) pounds. But 
I couldn't high jump like I used to. I didn't really, I hadn't studied gravity, the effects of gravity and understand that I need to be um, any type of weight to uh, compete at an efficient, efficient pace or efficient height. And so I gained these 25 pounds, you know, dealing with some pain and, and trauma at the time. And then a coach said to me, you know what? You kind of gotten a bad start. Come to Wichita State with me. Um, which is where I ended up doing my the rest of my education. And I will help you start over again. And I was like, okay, good, because I'm here. I had a really hard first year. I got bullied. It was just, oh, it was just, it was very challenging. So here I was, I'm like, go to Wichita State, new start. I was doing great my sophomore year, running. I learned that I can't eat whatever I want because here I was, I'm like, I got free food. I've been starving my whole life. Basically I got free food. I was eating everything. And I love food. I was a huge foodie. I'm like, give me all the food. And I didn't translate. And I was lifting weights too. So I was like, all right, I'm eating all the food. I'm lifting weights. It's fine. We're good. And um, I loved how I looked in clothes. I was like, I got some curves now. I was so excited. And then, but of course my, my athletic, <laughs> they took a detour. So now I'm in this new school. We don't have free food. I go back to my conservative eating. I up my training. And so I'm slated to win the conference meet my sophomore year. One day I'm walking home from school and I feel this sharp pain in my back. And it was out of nowhere. So I wasn't on the track. I wasn't training. I wasn't lifting, just walking. And I thought I'd gotten shot. It was so intense. It was so sharp. And I fell to the ground. And my friend's like, what, what happened? What's wrong? I was like, I don't know. I got this sharp pain in my back. And every time I didn't know if I could breathe, every time I'd make a, a movement, you'd never know when the pain would come. So they took me to the doctor. Doctor said, you have a stretch, stress fracture in your fourth lumbar vertebrate. Your season's over. Oh. So that was the Devastating. First, that was like the first time I realized that you know, when you're young, you feel like you're superhuman. You feel like, you know, I, and I was, I got into a place where, Hey, I got this scholarship. I got a second chance. I, I recovered. And then I started to feel like, Oh my goodness, I'm not invincible. And I don't know what happened, but I'm, I'm out. And it didn't register to me. So I was like, what am I going to do? I've put all of my hopes and, and dreams into this running track and field and going to the Olympics and making a difference in the world in this way what am I going to do? So this fear came up with, I'm not going to, I'm going to get sent home. I'm not going to be useful. I'm not going to achieve my dreams. I'm not going to make an impact. None of that's going to happen. How is that going to happen? This is what I've done for the last couple of years of my life. And so the teacher kicked me out of class because I was crying uncontrollably in class. I just break out crying. And the counselor suggested I try yoga. And I mean, you know, Southern girl, Southern Baptist girl. I'm thinking, ah, is this like worshiping? All I saw was Buddha and I'm just thinking, eh, nobody I know does yoga. So I was like, I don't know about yoga. And she's like, no, it's just stretching. <laughs> and here I go. I was like, well, I don't have a choice. I just got kicked out of class. I know how to stretch. We do that on the track. Jeff, let me tell you, I got in this class and I couldn't touch my toes. I was a tight athlete. These people are in these poses looking blissful. I'm like, this is not blissful. This is painful. I am in pain right now. And I just, I was so frustrated. And I was like, I don't want to be here. And the teacher saw my frustration and she came over to me and she said, I want you to just take a breath with me. And she took a deep inhale with me and we exhaled together. And I got these chills all over my body. 
And I remember feeling those chills before. And it was when I had asked my parents, when do I get baptized? When do I get baptized? You know, I wanted to know, you know, growing up in the church. And they were like, you'll know, you'll know. I'm like, how am I supposed to know? Is a preacher going to say something? Am I going to see a ghost on the wall? Like, what's going to happen? I want to know. I'm, I mean, it's <laughs> interesting. And so they said, you know. And I remember the preacher was preaching and I felt these chills. And I was like, oh, that must be it. I know. So I got baptized. So I connected this energy in my body uh, of this sensation to be spirit. And so when I felt that, I knew I was in the right place. And so I stayed in the yoga, painful. I mean, I remember doing a headstand and I felt like my brain was going to ooze out the top of my head. I, but it, I just wanna, it was painful. People will look at my Instagram and I'm like, oh, she's like a gymnast, she's been doing that. No, absolutely not, tight athlete. But now with so many years of practice, some of those poses that brought me to tears are now comfortable. So. I found yoga. And when I found yoga, I also learned how to take care of myself. I realized that, you know what? It's not about this, you know, track and field. It's not about this goal. It's about me being okay, you know? And through the teachings um, in the class, I ended up healing my body. I ended up going back to the track a year later and I won the conference meet and I led Wichita State to their first women's championship. So that's kind of how yoga took my fears away at the time. Amazing. And yeah, for for those who are not familiar with what Division One athletics look like, <laughs> uh, you know, being a an athlete at that level is a serious big deal. Um, and uh, so you're very modest about it, but uh, I, I know because... I went to to college to play tennis and quickly realized that I didn't have any talent whatsoever to compete at that level. Um, but I, I think that, you know, it, it's interesting because as you describe your story, I'm sure a lot of people, even if they're not, you know, um, athletes at your level can see some of their own story in yours where, you know, you've worked so hard to attain something and then all of a sudden there's the threat of that disappearing and all of a sudden your identity that you've girded in this thing is starting to get um, pulled away and you ask yourself at that juncture who am i mm -hmm. and all of the uncertainties start to arise in your life often associated with change and our our mind our conceptual mind really loves to gravitate towards certainty mm -hmm. um, and so in uncertainty and also in a certain amount of powerlessness because all of a sudden you you doubled over injured on the ground and you're like well wait a minute do i actually have the power to heal myself. So I'm sure you're going through those questions in your mind too. Mm -hmm. And in that uncertainty and in that powerlessness, we can gravitate then towards fear. Right. And, um, and I, I, I guess I'd love for you to talk through and unpack a little bit of how you dealt with your, your identity during that time. 
and how you dealt with change um, and the fear, I suppose, of failure. Um, because there you were, you had worked for years to cultivate yourself into this athlete. And then all of a sudden that was stripped away. And so, you know, I guess maybe you could talk a little bit about how, what that inflection point was like, and then some of those lessons that you took forward into your life. Absolutely. I, I think as an athlete, uh, you feel like I said, you feel like everything's going to be okay. You always have this this level of athleticism, and like you said, even if you're not an athlete, you might be a a homeowner, you might have a job, or you might have a relationship, and you think I'm set, I'm good. You're not thinking about the day when you won't have something that you have anymore. Who would want to think about that? That would be depressing. I mean, you know, I think it's it's out there, but most people are just like living like it's going to be it's going to be like this forever. Just like the times we're in now, we're thinking, "Hey, we'll have access to things forever." And then all of a sudden, it's not available. And so when that happened to me, the the first lesson I learned in that moment, which I kind of understood later, was that breath is spirit. So I felt it then, but I couldn't explain it. All I knew is how I felt and and that feeling centered me and it grounded me and I believed it and I trusted it. And so it allowed me to continue on a specific path towards my own healing. And so I say that because even now that is my biggest strength. That is my biggest knowing is that breath is spirit and we have it when we enter this world and we don't have it when we leave. So that lets us know it is here for us. It's absolutely free. You know, and so, you know, I do a lot of work with breath work and, and things like that. And so that is the biggest lesson I learned. And I learned it in that moment, but I didn't know how to, you know, share it. But I, I remember how it felt. And so I think that's first. And then the second thing that I learned is that we cannot run ourselves into the ground. You know, here I was like sleeping less than four hours a night, trying to, you know, pull off a 4.0 GPA, training four hours on the track, two hours in the gym. It was just insane. And so many of us do that in our work or in our family. It's like we're doing all this, but there's no self-care. There's no pause. There's no rest and recovery. So the second thing I learned is that you have to give your body time to rest and recover. And everything we experience is mirrored in nature. It's we don't have sun all the time. You know, we have darkness, we have light, there's a balance. And things shift and change, but there is a balance, there's a flow to it. So that's how we have to operate in the 24 hours that we have. We have to operate in this flow. So I learned that it's about balancing how much I'm taking care of and then how much I'm just pounding it out on the track trying to achieve. And then I would say Hmm. the third thing is that we have the ability to heal ourselves. We, every single person, we have this ability. It starts with the breath. And depending on the other things you have, you can use things within your body. You can use, you know, you have other things outside of your body, crystal and, you know, so many other things that can help. But we have the capacity to heal ourselves using the breath and the body and movement. So those are the main thing I learned this time. I, I went back to the track and so I was like, all right, this is this is good. But I also was like, all right, thanks, yoga. And I went back to training. I moved to California to train at the Olympic Training Center. And here I was. I wasn't doing yoga at all. I was just like, thank you for my healing. And I forgot about, I ended up getting injured again. 
because sometimes we found out these lessons and then we forget. And so what had happened is like, I had the healing, I had the connection, and then I went right back to grinding hard, trying to make my make it work in California, and I went right back to slowing down. And sometimes when we get these wake-up calls, and for me, injury was a wake-up call. It wasn't because I did anything wrong. It wasn't because, you know, per se, but it's a wake-up call that I needed to be more in balance with love with loving myself, with taking care of myself. And so this time when I got injured, I went back to yoga and that's when I got my yoga teacher certification. And I didn't know it then, but that's leading me what to what I'm doing now, being a thought leader and a life coach and leading people to practicing more self-care, no matter what they're doing in life, will help them align with love, will help them align with their divine path. Yeah, and it's it's amazing how many times in life that are that these inflection points of crisis that we dread and and have so much terror around end up being the sp- the springboards of our our greatest achievements. In many ways, they're our greatest teacher. Because I know you had a dream to be in the Olympics uh, and to run, and I think your event was the heptathlon. I know you had some other events too. Uh, but that's the one I remember. And, um, and you know, but if your life, if this, if these different injuries hadn't happened in your life, it, your life ha- wouldn't have instantiated the way that it has now. <laughs> and in a way you, you know, you were able to take this moment, this inflection point and create a life that you could, I'm not sure you could have ever dreamed of the life that you're living now, you know, that is so full of abundance, that's so full of influence, that where you're helping so many people um, cultivate their best selves to heal. Um, so oftentimes, yeah, it, it is hard to realize in the moment um, when you're going through something so, so difficult, when you feel like you're at rock bottom, that this is um, an opportunity for, for growth. Um, I want to talk about the breath just for a moment, um, because it's not something I grew up with either. Um, I didn't have any relationship or teaching or understanding around modalities like meditation or yoga in my life at all. Um, and the breath, as you say, it's something that we all have that we can access at any time until we can't access it, and then I'll see you in the afterlife. Um, but it is part of what's called the autonomic nervous system, which governs a lot of our bodily functions completely subconsciously. It's hard to remember all the things that are happening below conscious thought in our life, our respiratory system, our heart rate, our digestion. And one of those things that happens below the level of consciousness is fear. And we're wired for it. And that's actually can be very beneficial, particularly for our ancient life roaming the Serengeti when we were in the middle of the food chain and uh, and all of a sudden there would be a predator that that would come upon us. We're wired for fight or flight. Um, that protects us in a lot of ways. Um, and, and that has been something 
that historically has been very useful to humans. Um, the problem is, is that oftentimes in this current culture, we never leave fight or flight from a psychological basis, you know, that we're stuck in this place of our amygdala and our sympathetic nervous system that floods us with cortisol, that makes us stressed and irascible and irrational and takes us out of our prefrontal cortex and our ability to reason and be rational. Um, but the breath is a way in. <laughs> and, um, and so, you know, I, I wonder kind of as you survey kind of the human landscape right now, what do you see in terms of fear that exists out there? And how do we employ, what are the tools that can address it? Mm. That's such a multi-layered question. Yeah, you, you can pull any any thread you want, kind of personal or societal. I feel like fear is still beneficial. Mm -hmm. Fear as feedback. And so I feel like we have to look at it differently. We have to understand fear differently than we ever had in the past. Because fear is at an all-time high. Stress is at an all-time high. Um, disconnection with our true self is at an all-time high. So once we understand that fear is our friend, which I like to say fear is our friend, fear is feedback, We, where is this fear coming from? And so when we are willing to unpack the fear, unpack the pain, which is a vibration of fear, and, and this is a philosophy that I learned from the Course of Miracles, you know, about you know, boiling down our emotions to fear and love. And so it's easiest for me to talk about them and also the spectrum, because I also think fear is a vibration of love when you look at fear as feedback. So whether it be you getting pulled out of the way from a car, that fear helps you jump out of the way of it. Or if it's fear, like I'm not going to be loved, so I'm getting angry, that anger, that outburst lets you know something's not okay. You should take a pause and unpack what's making you afraid. Why are you feeling like you can't be loved? I have a fear that I won't achieve my dreams if I don't run track and feel. Okay, let's talk about that. So when you see fear as your friend, when you see fear as feedback, you realize that fear is meant to be acknowledged, like we talk about in the course, Bravely You. You acknowledge, you have compassion for it, but you don't just try to get rid of it. Because getting rid of it is like sticking your head in the sand and hoping that things outside are gonna change. <laughs> but if you lean into it, you yeah. journal it, you follow it, you breathe through it when it becomes anxiety and it's too much or tap or whatever your modality is, to calm the fear down, you can actually address it. But sometimes when we just wanna cover it up, some people call it spiritual bypassing or what have you, it's not addressing it. But again, if you see fear as feedback, you see fear as a friend, you're actually able to address it and you can return to that level of your life, which is more in the vibration of love. And so I see it as more of a, as a spectrum on this journey, here's fear and, and here's love. And when you're in fear, love is always there. You're just not aware of it because you are experiencing, like you said, this physical manifestation 
of the fear in your body. So when you use the breath, you use yoga to calm yourself down, you're able to see, okay, where is this fear leading me? What is it trying to show me? Yeah, and you used a couple words there that I think are really instructive. You talk about seeing fear mm -hmm. and recognizing it and acknowledging it, witnessing it. And I think that oftentimes when that emotion wells up inside of us, we tend to fixate on it and identify with it and roll it around and almost be it. Right. Instead of witnessing it for really what it is, which is a sensation or an emotion that's arising in our field of consciousness and subsiding in our field of consciousness. And almost as we begin to consciously witness it and not fixate on it or be it or identify with it, um, it almost dissipates it. It's funny. I was typing into Google before um, before we talked, just fear of, and I got some really interesting, almost silly um, responses to see what what most people are scared of, just because what they type into Google, and uh, and it was um, yeah I had it up a second ago, but it was stuff like snakes and spiders, God was in there, um, death. Uh, was in there. Um, public speaking was another one that was in there, and I uh, th and and that was the one that I resonated most with because I tend to have a very physical reaction. Like I get very nauseous. I get a little bit. Um, I lack clarity before I have to do some form of public speaking. And uh, I used to have a very intellectual approach to try to manage it, where I would try to eliminate all of the elements of uncertainty. So I would be like, well, how many people are out there and are they sitting down or are they standing up and is the air conditioning on and what's the temperature and will I have a glass of water or will it be in a bottle? Or will I be on a stool or whatever, you know, like I tried to do all these intellectual gymnastics to try to eliminate all the elements that I was uncertain of just to reduce that metric of, of, of fear and anxiety. And that kind of worked, but Re really what began to work for me was that when I would feel that welling up of anxiety and fear, I would just try to witness it for what it was, which was simply a sensation appearing. Like I didn't produce it. I didn't put it there. <laughs> you know, it was just appearing and disappearing. And so for me, surrendering in a way to the appearance of that sensation and consciousness really just, it, it really helped. Right. Um, and, uh, and so, you know, when I hear you talk about accessing the breath, witnessing, acknowledging, using fear, not as just your enemy, um, I think that, that that has really special and unique resonance. Um, I wonder, because I know you grew up religious, and I think you grew up Baptist. Um, 
But I, I wonder if any of your understanding of fear is at all based in um, the way often religion uses fear, which is not necessarily as like a, an emotion related to danger or threat, but more um, as awe or reverence for a power that is greater than us. So I, I wonder if you ever had any of that association with fear? Wow, that is such a good question because I think, you know, when you think of the awe of fear, especially fear as love, fear as, you know, leading to love, it is like awe-inspiring. But I do believe growing up, I had a different kind of fear. Like I was afraid that if I did something, I was going to hell or if I didn't do something a certain <laughs> way. So it was definitely different than, okay, you know, the fear of I am one with the divine and any type of fear that I'm experiencing is something that I should kind of feel into and ask myself, am I living in alignment with love? I think we all have a common purpose and that is to be loved. And if you break that down, just to be. So I love that you shared your fear of speaking and when you actually felt great is when you surrendered. So to surrender is to be. So whenever, whatever, we all, just like people have different religions, we all have a different journey to find that beingness where we are just truly expressing as nature, just truly being ourselves, right? And that is what I say, love, is just to be able to be without the judgment, without the comparison, without, you know, this projection of what are people going to think? What are people going to say? And what is that? That is a fear of not being loved. And our biggest purpose, our collective purpose yeah. is to love and be loved. So you're fearing, what if I say something, do something, stutter, and then all of a sudden people don't love me, right? So when you're able to surrender <laughs> yeah. and just be all of a sudden you're laughing, you're joking, you're saying silly stuff and you don't even care. You're having a good time <laughs> because you stepped out of that vibration that took you away from love. You got kind of blindsided by the fear, by the counting, by the worrying about if you weren't loved. But then when you surrender to the fact that, and you might not have been thinking like, okay, I'm going to surrender and everything's going to be okay. But when you look back at it, you can see that that surrender allowed you to be your authentic self. And therefore, whether people liked it or not or whatever, in that surrender, you were in alignment with love. You were in alignment with being your true self. Yeah. Yes. And I, I if I try to reflect on my own deficiencies, <laughs> I tend, when I am most connected to my ego, when I am basing my identity through the eyes of other people. Mm -hmm. So I, I grew up living all over the world. I was a chubby kid. I was having to learn new languages everywhere I went. I was always trying to fit in and I was always trying to be liked. Mm -hmm. And that followed me really till yesterday, <laughs> today. <laughs> uh, um, where, you know, so much of my identity and my self-worth was baked into being liked and receiving the approval 
of others, which is natural on one level, but it is it was a flaw, you know, of being too connected to my ego. And you're absolutely right, although I've never quite made that connection before. But as you excavate and pull back the sheaths or the koshas of this issue, you know, my uh, fear of public speaking, it was really a fear of judgment, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was a fear of judgment. <laughs> and that can cut both ways, right? I mean, often we tend to have fear of failure, but there's also fear of success, right? Mm hmm the funny thing is you can label whatever you want to label the fear. You know, just <laughs> yeah. at all this, how we want to articulate things. And I just laugh at myself when I get caught up in the articulation of things. It's really not about yeah. the words. It's not about yeah. the definition. It is about the feeling. And the mm. more that we, we want to define everything, the more that we can pull out of that defining and move back into feeling, then we start to move in alignment with a vibration that is always constant. And I feel that if we mm. spent more time feeling and actually less time defining and talking, I mean, communication is important, <laughs> you know, and we talk about communication and how important it is to communicate. But I do think something deeper than communication is feeling. And when we have all these distractions and, you know, I use social media to put my message out there. There's beauty in everything, right? There is love in everything. I said, I feel everything is love at a different vibration, right? And so when you look at it, we have this opportunity to see fear, however we want to see it, however we want to define it, and ask ourselves, where can I move closer? to love, right? And so with the story, any story you can bring up, the fear of this, the fear of that, the fear of judgment, the fear of rejection, it's just away from love. It's just pulling you away from who you are, which is being, which is the, the divinity that will never change. It will never leave. We are infinite beings here to express in our human form, however we would like. We have free will. So within this free will, a lot of times we don't talk about it much, we get to navigate what we experience, which is a co-creation because we're all here together. So it's like we have a body and I like to talk um, about the world as a body because I feel like it's easier to identify. And all these parts of our body, think as different people, all different parts of your body. So if one part of your body is hurting, you feel that, right? If you're not numb to it, if you haven't disconnected yourself from other people, or other experiences, you feel it. But the more you disconnect, say, oh, well, I'm not like that. I don't do that. I don't experience that. Wait a minute. In the idea of oneness, in the collective, we are all experiencing different things as we go through our humanness. So, and I say that to say, when it comes to defining fear, there is no clear cut definition, except for to look at it as feedback to where, what you need to address, what you need to ask yourself, like, how can I move out of this vibration that is, I don't like, this is not fun. Sometimes you can put your hand on coal, right? Sometimes you can like it and sometimes you can not like it, right? Sometimes you put your hand on hot, sometimes you like it. So if you think about fear like that, 
Some of the same things that some people are scared of can bring other people great joy. How do you explain that? Because it depends mm, yeah. on our own personal definition. Now, some people are scared of snakes. Some people wrap snakes around their neck for a living. How do you explain that? But if we look at fear as a vibration of love, it's feedback. If you are scared of that, then in your body, it is signaling, this means danger to me. And then you have to ask yourself, am I in danger? Or right. is this a figment of my imagination? Am I creating this, this danger? So, and we can create life or death. I could go on deeper, but I, I feel no, like- No, this is, this is good because- well, this really gets at it because <clears throat> so often in our lives, our fear is based on projecting what I call anticipated memories into the future based on past events that were dangerous, threatening, unpleasant, hurtful, traumatic. Yeah. Um, and, and so I think about not to... <laughs> ground too much of this conversation in all of the awful things that happened to me as a kid because I had a, a wonderful upbringing generally. But as a, in middle school, I got, I was horsing around with a bunch of kids at school and I got locked in a locker, like a very skinny little locker where you would hang your backpack. And it was, I could barely fit in it. And it was, and I couldn't breathe. And I basically had a full force panic attack, screaming, yelling, let me out, let me out, let me out, pounding um, uh, on this metal locker. And, you know, it seemed like I was in there for an eternity. It was probably in reality only 30 seconds or maybe a minute. I could hear the kids laughing outside, all those kind of things. Finally, you know, one of the kids opened the locker and I came out flailing like snot spurting <laughs> every direction. You know, I was just out of completely out of my mind, out of control in, in every way. And because of that event, which was traumatic, uh, I developed essentially claustrophobia mm -hmm. and that followed me into my life where, you know, I lived in New York for a very long time when I was in a crowded subway or when I was in a crowded elevator, or even when I was in a meeting in a small office with the door closed, sometimes when I was on an airplane, basically anytime I was in a small space, but it was also anytime I was out of control, mm -hmm. I would begin to have a panic attack. Mm -hmm. And, but as I've, tried to grow and apply some of the tools that you teach and other great teachers espouse, I try to recognize that really what's happening to me is that I'm taking that event, that, that learned fear, that event that happened as a young boy, and then projecting that fear into the future. So now I was like, oh, I better avoid that elevator or I better avoid that plane ride or I better, you know, and we can get stuck in, in those patterns. Um, and so much of the time, you know, when you're talking about feedback, feedback does require presence in a way, right? Mm -hmm. 
because you need to be able to shine your attention of consciousness on that sensation of fear and try to like try to witness it and understand it and not identify with it anyways <laughs> so this that, that was a story that I, I still struggle with it to be honest because it feels it feels so deeply held right, what are the, um kind of in my body yes there you go and, yeah. and that's what happens because now, because there's so many studies out there that are showing the connection to how the autonomic system works and how when we have a traumatic event and that energy, like we have this tightness and, and we get scared and we have memory, like everything is firing, like keep Jeff safe, keep him safe. Yeah. So when you're afraid now, your body remembers, keep Jeff safe. That's why fear is your friend. It's saying, keep Jeff safe. So your job, if you choose to accept it, is to go back <laughs> through breath work yoga and clear those pathways that attaches to the fact that being in tight spaces equal Jeff not being safe. But until you do the work, to clear that from your body through breath work helps, yoga helps, all of these things because you've heard the body keeps score. You know, I don't know if you've read that book or not, but it it really teaches us how when we think about, we can't just think ourselves out of traumatic situations. And we have things that imprint on us energetically in a certain way that if we don't ever address them, then we're going to carry that fear because it's not then just in our mind. It is in our subconscious that is telling us it's learning through our adaptive environment as we all adapt that this is what Jeff needs to keep him safe. I, he needs to panic so he doesn't get in that, you know? And so that's why I do different modalities like tapping. I'm actually doing um, EMDR tomorrow because their trauma is real. And the energetic vibrations of fear that happens up is someone actually gets hit. Look, they didn't jump out of the, you actually got hit. The trauma of that impact, your body's trying to be smart. So it's trying to make sure if you make it, that you never get hit again. So every time maybe a car gets close, you might scream, you might jump because your body is just trying to keep you safe. So no, we're not running from lions and tigers and bears, but our body is working to protect us just like it did then. And it's saying, this is not a safe environment. So when you work with a therapist or a hypnotherapist or whatever, you people have so many different modalities these days, but it's helping you remove that fear. And breathwork and yoga can get to a little bit of it depending on how deep you go. But the deeper you go and clearing that energy of fear and realizing you are safe, the more you can remove that traumatic experience. And also, I love Louise Hayes' book. You know, you can heal your life. She was another pioneer and and showing us how the things that happen to us physically has an emotional connection. And then you go on to, I don't know if you read Becoming Supernatural, but I mean, all of these books are showing us that science is starting to prove that we have the ability to hold on to these experiences and we have the ability to release them. And my point is that we have the fear because our body is trying to give us feedback, it's trying to keep us safe so that we can be, 
so that we can live in alignment with love. And again, so that fear is a vibration of keeping us safe and therefore fear is love. And I know that's hard for people to wrap their mind around because mm -hmm. I really didn't, I didn't know that. I didn't attach that until I kept studying and I kept unpacking. And I'm like, well, what does this mean to me? And so many times we try to read books, right? We try to understand it. We try to define it. But when we're able to feel what is true, it doesn't need a definition. It is a feeling. You feel like I felt in that class for the first time. When I felt that breath, I felt a release. My shoulders relaxed. My heart relaxed. When I keep breathing, when I do yoga, when I'm stressed out, I feel better when I breathe, when I do yoga. And so if we move into feeling, we can clear that subconscious reaction to fear and trauma and start to, and the more we remove it, the more we can live just being in alignment of love. Yeah. And <clears throat> I think that feeling that you describe, that lived experience can be very convergent with life sciences or intellectual thought, they can line up and they often do. Um, so it, it's not that they're completely disassociated with one another. In fact, oftentimes it's very hard. Oftentimes you can actually understand the concept intellectually first before it actually becomes a felt lived experience. But then when it comes when it becomes felt, it's like, oh my God, now I get it. Everything has now, you know, cohered and, and congealed into a, a, an answer for okay. me. Um, I wonder, do you do you do you experience fear in your life now? And if and when you do, <laughs> what is your what are kind of the first tools in in your kit? I 100% experience fear pretty much on an everyday basis. It is <laughs> me like I experience night and dark and I, I, I experience light and the sun. Like it's just part of the human experience. But the fact that I understand it, it helps me deal with the fear. I have, you know, traumatic experiences happen to me during my life, that, which I always also deal with it. But understanding it brings me peace of mind. And you touched on this earlier, but Every challenge, I truly believe, is an opportunity for us to grow and evolve. And when I say grow and evolve, I don't mean any type of success or any type of impact. I mean in alignment with love, like being, surrendering to who we truly are, which is love. And, you know, from my upbringing, God is love. That is love. And if everything God created is good, that makes more sense. If even the most traumatic things are happening to keep us safe, to alert us that there is a problem that we need to address within ourselves, within others, within the world. So when you look at it that way, I look at fear in my life and, you know, I'll just keep it real. Like even right now today, I mean, we have so much to address when it comes to, you know, police brutality. And that's where I experienced the most present trauma in my life. When I was a young girl, hmm. when I was 14, three police officers jumped my brother, held him down to the ground, 
very similar that we saw in the video with George Floyd. And so that traumatized me. I never addressed it. We couldn't tell the parents. We couldn't tell anybody. We pretended like it didn't happen. I really didn't even think about it until I saw that video. I started having flashbacks. Now, I'm not saying I didn't know I was traumatized but I, from that event. I just didn't know what it was. Why was it when I heard a siren really close to me, I would jump? Why was it that whenever I saw a police officer, my heart would beat rapidly? I never attached those things to that situation until I saw that video, which I try not to look at, but it served a purpose for me and my life so that I could address this trauma. So I experienced PTSD for three days. I was seeing visions of that being my brother, my brother not being here. I um, was very angry. I was very nervous every single day. And here I was, thought leader, trying to run my yoga school online, pivoting during the pandemic, trying to do all the things and experiencing yeah. this trauma real. It was in my body, it was in my cells. I could feel it, I was not okay. And I was telling people I was not okay. And I'm like, how do I shake this? So I'm doing the breath work, I'm doing the, I'm doing all the things. I'm journaling. I call my brother and I needed to talk to him about what he experienced and how he felt. Cause I didn't get to when I was that young girl. So me going back to that traumatic experience that had imprinted it's in me that it is not okay. Police are not okay. They're scary. They're dangerous. They're, you know, all of these things. When I went back and I removed that fear by talking to my brother, my brother's okay. This is why we didn't tell. Can we tell our parents? Can we talk about it? Can we unpack it? Because that 14 year old girl in me is terrified, right? So I had some time to talk about it. I had some time to write about it. I had some time to rest and reset my brain to this situation does not mean death. It doesn't mean this was a bad decision. It was wrong. It was traumatic. Those, those um, police officers shouldn't have used that amount of force. They shouldn't have pushed me out of the way. It was very aggressive. It was very traumatic. But when I was able to do the transformational writing that we do you know, in the course, um, Bravely You, when I was able to do the breath work, every time a traumatic vision came up, I was able to remove the energy of that experience out of my body for a time. And let me tell you, I say for a time because I'm giving you a real life, true experience that I'm still working through. So after that, after three days of doing the breath work, doing the yoga, talking to my brother and my parents and you know, doing everything that I could, sound healing, crystal work. I mean, I did everything, Epsom salt baths, every healing modality <laughs> I knew how to do, I did. Cold showers, you name it. I was trying to remove this imprint of negativity, this imprint of trauma from my body. So then after three days, I felt normal again. I allowed myself time to rest, recover and process, which again, when we feel like we're out of alignment with love, we need to rest. That's what I learned from yoga, is that when you're hurt, when you're not okay, whether it be physically is what I learned with my track as athlete, as a track athlete, but now emotionally, I realize you still need time to rest and recover when you experience a traumatic event, you need time to process it, to talk about it. And if you don't give yourself that time, that, that can stick with you until it's addressed. So here I was the other day, I think it was about a week ago, um, 
me and a friend were, you know, spending the day together, went to the beach, they, they parked at my house and then we came back and something energetically, we we're going to, he was going to help me get some mail from my mailbox and energetically something just signaled me to just go to the car. He had brought the bikes. We were going to put the, get the package, then put the bikes in his car, but he was going to help me with mail just in case it was a lot. But something said, no, I'm going to help you take your bike to the car. And so we went to the car. As soon as we roll up to the car, there's a police officer there. So I walk up and he's riding a ticket. He's, he's, he's halfway through. He's toward the bottom. I'm like, oh no, my friend had parked in the median, but the road was closed. So surprisingly, I didn't have anxiety. For the first time since I could remember, I didn't have anxiety. And so I looked at him, right, the ticket, and I still had some weird type of peace about me. Like, I was just looking like, huh, that's interesting. We just had the most amazing day together. He's being there for me because I'm going through a lot of stress right now in my life, and we just had a good time. And man, it has to end with this ticket. I'm just looking at the ticket. I was like, oh, well, I'm so sorry. I was like, I, I thought the road was closed and I, we, we didn't know. And, and um, my friend said, uh, oh, we were, I was just, uh, we were just picking up the bikes. He was like, no, you've been here for a while. And I was like, yes, we've been here for a while. He's been parked here for a while. So something told me just like, I want to be, something was aligning me with being present. I said, we've been here for a while. And so he said, yeah, you can't park here. There's nowhere you can park with a medium. And I still somehow didn't have fear, didn't have anger. I was literally just like, and I was like, you know what? It's my fault. I'm so sorry. You came to see me. I didn't know you couldn't park here. I didn't necessarily tell him to park there. I didn't even know he had parked there, but he had parked there before. So I knew that was a place and I didn't know it was illegal. So I was just like, and I just sat there and I just looked. I just looked at the ticket. I looked at my friend. I was just like. And then the police officer wrote the hose. He's like, yeah, you know, this, you'll learn, you'll learn next time. And I, and I, I said, yeah, I said, thank you. And he said, he, he literally had his arm out the door and he drops the ticket down. He's like, I'm not going to give it to you this time. And I'm like, what? And I was just like, cause wow. usually when people write, they write the whole ticket out, they giving it to you. It's like, you know, I used to speed. So I get a chance. Like if they yeah, weren't right now, you got to convince yeah. them not to give you a ticket before they finish it. Cause if they finish it, it's over for you. Right. <laughs> yeah. Say what you got to say before the pen comes out. So the pen was out. I think I felt like oh, the pen's out. He's almost to the bottom. You're getting this ticket, you know, but he, he, and I was like, wow. And so I was so happy I could have cried out of joy, but it wasn't just about that ticket. It's, and I didn't really know it at the time. I was just in the moment. But the you know police officer said, you know, don't park here, drove off. And I was like, wow, me and my friend just hugged because he knows about my trauma. And, and the feeling was almost like you would have thought I want to go medal. Like it was something about the whole <laughs> transpiring of that. And even if he would have got it, I was still amazed at how there was no there was no trauma associated. So I and I, and I, I'm going somewhere with this long long story. But we were we were like, oh my goodness, he was like, thank you so much. I'm so glad we went to the car. I'm so glad we didn't get a ticket. We were so happy. And I remember he left. I'm walking back to the house, and I'm just like, wow. And I'm just thanking God. I'm so happy. I'm like, this trauma is gone. Um. 
And I'm just, I'm just experiencing this sense of happiness. And I'm like, I'm, I'm so happy that this work, this, this stuff worked. And so I experienced this, this openness until, what was it? Three days ago. <laughs> three until three days ago, I thought I had kicked this trauma. I kicked this anxiety around, you know, police and, and, and having this anxiety come up whenever I, I, I saw a police officer. And then I didn't even watch the video. I didn't want the trauma. I didn't want the visions, but I started having them. Just after reading the story, just after reading the story, and so I started having anxiety. I started feeling these palpitations and it's like, that's okay. You made a stride. And, and I say that because people, you don't have to be perfect to be great. You don't have to get rid of fear. You don't have to get rid of anxiety. You just have to know that it's still there and be willing to work on it. And that's why I tell that story because that's something I'm still, like I said, tomorrow I'm going to therapy and I don't feel like it's something that you need to necessarily get rid of. It's something that you need to thank. Thank you for me realizing that that's still there. And I that is a place in my human experience that I still need to work on. So I'm gonna continue to work on it, but there's a lot of places where it's less fear. It's definitely less than I had before. So that's something that I'll continue to work on. So, and that's something that we need to continue to work on in the world. We need to work on our police brutality problem. So it's something that maybe with my platform, with my mission, with my voice, that I'm gonna speak out against, that I'm gonna do something for. So I feel like fear, again, it's feedback. And when it comes up, it is a signal to us, okay, what does it feel like to, because one, no one wants to have anxiety attacks and insomnia and crying spells, right? So that's not happening. But the fact that it happened just because I'm fine now does not mean I don't realize, okay, there's still a little trauma there that I want to unpack. So I think every challenge, every fear, every anxiety, every pain is an opportunity for us to say, thank you. Now let me see where I need to unpack this. Rather than push it off, pretend it's not there, say that I'm just gonna be a better person. So that is my work. My work is to teach people the practical applications of dealing with stress, anxiety, fear, trauma, and through breath work, yoga, meditation. Those are my modalities, but there are other modalities like hypnotherapy like um you know the emdr like tapping some of my friends do um with the tapping solution you know so there's so many different modalities and i think that we're here together we're here to love together we're here to live together but we're also here to process our pain together because we are all one body and when we commit to helping each other we're not trying to be um pain free or fear free because just like night and day it's a part of the experience but I don't feel like it's part of the experience for us to be overcome by it. It is the part of the experience for us to recognize it as part of the experience and move around and towards what we desire more in our experience. Because if we don't want that fear, we don't want that anxiety, then we have to acknowledge it, address it, process it. And if we don't, we will see it. And sometimes if we do, we will see it and it's still feedback.
Mm. Whew. Man, thank you for sharing that story, first of all. Um, and, and yeah, it's amazing to hear how that you're working through things still, even where you are, <laughs> where it's, I, I, um, you know, perceive you kind of in an exalted <laughs> way. So I appreciate the, the fact that, that you also see yourself as part of a process. Um, and, um, and yeah, I mean, obviously the ability to remain present and not succumb and be overcome by fear in particular moments, mm -hmm. um, that is uh, a tool obviously that, that a lot of people could benefit from, um, you know, in all sorts of situations, but obviously in the situations that seem to run over and over again on videos in our social media feeds, um, you know, we, we look at those situations and we say, my God, if the world could just could, could learn just some of the simplest modalities of breathing, and um, in some of these moments that have been so tragic, you know. But that's the key. It's not just in these moments. It's every right. single day because it's a lot that leads up to that. It's a lot Correct. that leads yeah. up for you to be in such fear you actually take someone's life. It's a lot yeah. to lead up to such fear that you have anxiety. So there's a lot of trauma that has been happening and so anxiety to me is compounded fear on top of fear on top of fear. So what I'm experiencing, it might be even more than this one event. It's compounded, right? So that just lets me know like, okay, this is at a level, you are experiencing trauma at a level where it is showing up in this way. That means you need more rest. You need more recovery time. You need to yeah. get loved up, which is why I created my company, Get Loved Up. Love yourself, <laughs> others in the world. And even if someone is listening to this and they're like, I've never experienced any of that. Yes, you have. Because let's see what's happening in the pandemic. Who did not get shut in their house? Everybody did. Well, most people did. Right? Some people were like rebelled, but still it affected all of us. We all get affected by climate change. We all get affected by things, not directly always, but indirectly. So if you stub your toe, your toe is not bleeding, but you are feeling it throughout your body. So when we can remember that connection, we remember. And so, and that's important to know because we can't turn our back to pain. We can't turn our back for trauma that we experience on a collective level. We can't say that's not me or that's not us, or that's just them. Because eventually we're all being affected by it. And then we all have to practice this alignment because the more we practice it, the more we can share it with each other, like we're doing on the podcast, the more we can share it with each other, the more we can develop this collective consciousness of surrendering to love, surrendering to peace, dealing with our trauma in a mindful way so it doesn't hurt someone else. Because we know that it might not be intentional. Some people do things intentionally, and that's because of their trauma, which is sad. But 
they're not aware that they have a lot of times when people are psychopaths and and murderers and things like that they might not even be aware of how much trauma they've experienced in their life to get them to that point and that's why it's important for all of us to do this work because we're affecting each other and this is something that is collective and it's not something that just depends on one person or looking at things in one way and when i go back to my roots we talk about the trinity um, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Well, I truly believe that the Holy Spirit, the Spirit, of course I call it Spirit now, <laughs> um, but the Holy Spirit, as I yearned and learned in my youth, is always with us, guiding us to this alignment, how it feels to be in love, how we feel after yoga, how we feel after breath, how we feel after meditation, this peace, this surrender, we're always being guided back to that. But when we experience trauma, when we see the things on TV, when we experience it directly in our lives, it starts to put us in this, you know, sympathetic state of I am not okay and I am not safe. And then we talk about our energy centers, our, our chakras, which I teach about, you know, once that root chakra of safety and security is off, it affects everything else. So how can I be divine and like, how can I live my truth? How can I manifest? How can I do all of that if I'm scared of my safety? And so the more that we are rocked and the more that we are traumatized, the harder it is for us to align. But the more we help each other align, the more we can live in the awareness of the love that always is. Thank you for listening to my conversation with Koya Webb. Follow her on Instagram at Koya Webb. And be sure to sign up for a free five-day pass for her commune course, Bravely You, at onecommune.com brave. You can always drop me a note with comments and suggestions at jeffk at onecommune.com or follow my general rantings on Instagram at Jeff Krasnow. That's all from the commune for this week. My name is Jeff Krasnow, and I am here for you.